0: the chapters 13 through 16 this is usually called the Christ's high priestly prayer and the reason it's called that is because Jesus is no longer giving instructions to his disciples. Uh, Chapters 13 through 15 basically show us, you know, he washed their feet. He told them what they wanted them to do. You know, he gave them instructions about how they're supposed to live, what they're supposed to be. He prepared them for the coming persecution. He prepared them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so now he's going to turn his attention away from speaking to his disciples. And he's going to speak to the Father. And he's going to pray. Chapter 17 is just one big long prayer. And it's called the high priestly prayer because Jesus is taking on the mantle of the high priest when he intercedes for the people. Uh, In the Old Testament, you know, the high priest would come on the day of atonement with the sacrifice, and he he would first sacrifice for himself to cleanse himself of sin. Then he would go and sacrifice for the people, and he would make atonement for them through that sacrifice. And then he would pray for the people and pray for their, you know, protection, pray for their guidance, pray for, you know, all all that kind of thing. And this is what Jesus. Is going to do. We probably won't get it. Probably, I mean, the first. There's so much in here. I probably won't get past the first five verses today, uh, and then maybe maybe do the rest next time. But once we pass this chapter, which is so much in here, um, it'll start moving a little quicker. There's three parts to the to this chapter. The first part, verses one through five, is Jesus praying uh, for God's glory. Uh, And that's where we're going to probably focus our attention today is that he's doing all this stuff for the son to be glorified through the father and for the father to be glorified through the son. And that's the real purpose of what's everything's going on. Then after that, he turns his attention to the disciples and starts praying for them that they would be strengthened, that they would be united as one and they, you know, that they would be ready for what was coming. He's, He's praying for them and then the third part, he prays for all the people who will hear the disciples message the whole world uh of the church you know all the way down through the ages for anyone who who hears and believes their their message and so the 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 whole prayer is basically uh it's a prayer for us it's a prayer for us i used to do a thing where i would take out the words they and them and put in put in your name put in you know and so the the first thing we got to see though is that the first and most important issue that he he talks about when he starts to pray to the Father is that God would be glorified. Now he's about to go to the cross. He's about to go and die. He's about to be you know put on trial. He's about to be tortured. About to all these things are about to happen. And so uh, it's it's. It's instructive to understand that he is more concerned right now with glory than with anything else. He's more concerned about the Father glorifying him and more concerned about Him glorifying the Father as He is about to go through all that He's going through. So when we think of salvation, oftentimes we think of salvation as, what do I get out of the deal? You know? and, and you do get, you know, you get eternal life, and we're going to see that here. Um, but salvation at its, the, its base level is about glorifying God. Uh, when God takes a wretched sinner like me, and he saves him with his, you know, mercy and forgiveness, and he is glorifying his attributes of love and mercy and kindness and goodness and, and, and all those things, he is glorifying himself and doing it. He, he's not doing it just so I'll be happy, you know, and I'll be cool and everything will be fine. He's doing it to glorify himself. And when God um, when God judges a person who refuses Christ, um, He's not doing that just because He's a big old mean God. He's doing that to glorify Himself because He's glorifying His wrath, His righteousness, His justice. His He's glorifying Himself. So the whole thing. The whole thing, this whole, the whole from the beginning of the book uh, of Scripture, not just John, but beginning of the whole Bible to the end of the whole Bible is all about the glory of God. That's His purpose. His purpose isn't just to make me happy. His purpose isn't just to give me what I want. His purpose isn't just to uh, make sure that everything goes right with me. His purpose is to glorify Himself, and that should be my purpose as well. And we see Jesus about to go to the cross, and that's His purpose. He says... In verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, he says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Now, First thing you need to know is this is not a prayer of sorrow. He's not praying, "Oh Lord, please help me." Glorify. This is a prayer of victory, and he's going to show that as we as we work down through it. Um, it it's a prayer that the time has come. The very last thing he said in chapter sixteen was what. I have overcome. I have overcome the world. He said, "In this world, you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world." Then he turns, lifts up his eyes, and says, "Father, the time has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee." So he—it's a prayer coming from victory. It's a prayer uh, understanding that this is the reason why he's here. How is how is he about to go and glorify the Father? You think? He's told us what's fixing to happen. We know we know because we know the story of what's fixed to happen. How is he going to glorify the Father? By his resurrection. By his resurrection? What else? He's
1: fulfilled his purpose that God sent him here to do.
0: Oh. Yes. Nope. <laughs> Breathe. He yeah, had. I'm gonna get rid of that straw before I hurt myself. By his death, by his resurrection, by accomplishing the tasks that that God, had, the Father, has sent for him to do, he's going to glorify. How do you think? How do you think specifically Jesus dying on the cross, and we know why he died on the cross? How does that glorify the Father? He did it willingly. He did do it willingly because they are him. Huh? They are yes. They, both of those things are true, but how does it glorify it the Father? It does the Father and it shows His great love for us. It does, and that, and that it, uh, He allowed Jesus to die for us, and He mercy for us. Yes, it shows. On the one hand, it shows His love, His mercy, compassion that He would give His only Son. And the other hand, it shows His justice and righteousness because He poured out His wrath on His Son to die for us. And so, in that one event in that one the most tragic event ever conceived in history, you see you see God revealed in that event more than any other event in in history. You see God manifest, you see who God is, he is not just uh granddaddy in the sky, you know he is not just uh this this Merciless ruler up there with a rod, going follow my rules. He is a god of love and compassion that would give his only son. He was the god of uh, of of. Of justice that he would make sure that sin will be punished, but he loved enough to let him, his own son, take the place so that the sinner could go free. And so you see all of his attributes all rolled up into one right there at the cross where he, where he, where he died and he bled and he bore the wrath of God uh, and he showed God's love and mercy. And then, how does the Father glorify the Son? It says verse one. It said. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son also may glorify thee. By Just bringing him back to heaven. By resurrecting him from the dead. And... Him ascending into heaven, it showed that Jesus didn't just. If Jesus just died on the cross and that was the end of the story, we'd have nothing to celebrate. We'd have no victory. We'd have nothing. Death just claimed another enemy. You know, that's our enemy in this in this life is is death. You know, we we're afraid of it. We we don't want it. You know, we don't. We anticipate it with with uh, with fear, and and it is the it's the last enemy to be defeated, is what Paul says, and you see here that even Christ, if he would have stayed, if he would have just just been another prophet, another whatever, you know, they all died. Buddha died. Muhammad died. They all died. But Jesus defeated death. He came back from the dead. He laid down his life and then he took it back up again defeating death defeating the last remnant of the curse that we're under therefore we know that his his sacrifice was accepted by the father because he raised him back to life and he ascended into heaven when he ascended you know as the disciples stood there in uh we'll say it uh it's in the beginning of acts but um, when he ascended, that is a picture of the fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel where it says, I saw one like a son of man ascend to the, uh, riding on a cloud, ascending to the ancient of days, and was given to him a kingdom and glory and honor. And, and so he fulfilled the prophecies that were uh, given showing that he would be the one that, 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 is given the authority over heaven and earth and is is glorifying the father and is glorified by the father is given the given the kings that makes sense I'm just rambling I'm just rambling but I
1: also think that his glory is manifested in the fact that the veil was torn and you know we were we were no longer having to come to God through a levite priest that we were able to come one on one in a very personal relationship through Jesus Christ you know, through the sure, Holy Spirit sure. to God the Father. Sure. And I think by that Trinity being made personal and whole, that was a total glorification.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. And he's, that's what he's doing in this chapter is he is being our high priest. He's, he's interceding for us. And so now we come through him. Exactly. We come through him, rather. God, God allowed Jesus to let the disciples see and validate the truth that he can been telling them all along about the truth, about the resurrection. And they see. Him. He told us the truth. We see that. Oh yeah. He did what he said he was going to do. That's right. And if he hadn't come back and showed them, they would never known if he got out or huh. Yeah, they wouldn't have been they definitely wouldn't have been powerful disciples. They wouldn't have willingly gone to their death knowing if they thought unless they knew that what they were saying was true. A lot of people will go to their death for a lie, but not too many people will go to their death. <laughs> knowing that it's a lie does that make sense like the muslim guy will go and suicide bomb for a lie but he thinks it's the truth but if if i was a disciple and i knew that jesus didn't really rise from the dead we just hid the body or something i don't think i'd go to my death knowing that it was a lie does that make sense okay good i don't know what i'm talking about okay and so it says verse verse one uh what Verse 2 says as thou have given him power over all flesh who's given power Jesus it says glorify we go back to verse 1 it's all one long sentence it says Uh, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power. In the same way, he's saying, in the same way, glorify me in the same way that you have given me power over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So, here we see that Jesus is praying. To the Father, and He's acknowledging that He's asking the Father to glorify Him, which we know is Him going to the cross and being resurrected, Him being received the kingdom, you know, returning to the ancient of days, and He's saying, uh, "Glorify Your Son in the same way that You have given Him authority over eternal life to give to whomever You have given Me." As thou That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. What does it mean to be given to him? To be given to Christ? I give, Jesus says, I give eternal life. I have the authority to give eternal life to those that you have given me. What does that mean? It is saved, folks. Yes. But what does it mean to be given by the Father to Christ? Just tell me what you think. It doesn't have to be, I'm not going to say, you're wrong. I mean, I might. but
1: <laughs> we, were, we were God's creation. We were His. Uh-huh. And God gave Jesus the authority, gave Him the right to, to pay for us.
0: Yes. To buy us back. And so He's basically saying, you know, these are mine, I want them back, and you can pay the price for me get them back for me so I'll give them to you because you paid that price. Sure, sure. And the Father gives them to the Son by the Spirit. So a lot of people think well... That's why it's so, if you hear, especially, when, you'll hear me harping on salvation all the time, and sometimes it gets to be like, okay, I got it, all right, well, let's move on to something else. Um, but the reality is that so many people, especially here in this part of the country, uh, Bible Belt, I mean, they, they think that salvation is nothing more than a decision to be decided. You know, okay, today I will decide to... You know, follow after Jesus. Today I will decide to give my life to Jesus. And there is a decision involved, so I don't want to say that it's not a decision. But unless the Father moves by the Holy Spirit to convict your heart and to draw that heart to you, to convict you of sin and to, to uh, open your eyes to the fact that you're lost and wretched and undone without Christ, um, you can come and repeat a prayer after me all day long and it's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything. And you see this so many times, with, uh, especially like the parable Jesus tells about the seed and the word. Uh, when he casts the seed on the, the thorny ground, and the stony ground, it says that they received the seed with gladness, with joy. They received it with joy for all intents and purposes. If, if someone came and I gave them the gospel and they received it with joy, we would say, praise God, you're a Christian. And then we would start discipling. But in that same parable, Jesus said they received it with joy, but then the cares of the world spring up and they they choke out that word and all those things. And so you can see people, even in Scripture, there's a... I could give you a laundry list of people who came that would say, hey, how, I want that. But there was no movement of the Spirit in them. There was no, there was no conviction. There was no, uh, there was no turning. There was no, no turning of their heart, no being born again from, from the Spirit. So uh, when, he, when, when the Father says, when He says, you've given me authority to give eternal life to all those you have given me, uh, what He's doing is He's showing us the, the, the Trinity in action, so to speak. The Father sends the Son to, to accomplish the task. The Son the, accomplishes the task, and then the Spirit applies that to your life. Does that make sense? So it's not just about, you know, I could say, you know, so many of us, uh, so many of people say, I believe in Jesus, I believe He died on the cross, I believe He rose again, I believe... You know, and, and that's great, but really that's historical facts. Until the Holy Spirit comes and makes that real in your life, Um, There there is no life. And we'll see that here in just a second. (laughs) Jesus is going to define eternal life for us. Now, if I said define eternal life... If I walked up to you on the street and said, what is eternal life? You would probably tell me, you know, if if you don't read ahead, you'd probably tell me, you know, it's living forever with God. It's going to heaven when you die. It's it's receiving the fulfillment of grace. it's You know, whatever. And all those things would be right. But Jesus defines the term eternal life. He defines it in terms of relationship. He defines, in term, in terms he defines it in terms of knowing one another. He defines it in terms of me being in a personal relationship with God and with Christ. He says, Verse 3 says, This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now think about that. You guys, I've told you this before, you guys are sitting here, I could teach you all kind of things about Bible words and about history and about how things worked back then and, and the etymology of words and where they come from and what this word means. And what, I could teach you all of that stuff and all that wonderful things and y'all could go out here a whole lot smarter than you were when you came in and it wouldn't do you a lick of good unless you knew god unless you had a relationship with him i could i I could tell you all about dana where she was born what she likes the things that she does the you know describe her to you describe her family to her to you i could do all those things so that that, you know you you would know everything there is to know about her but you would not know her until you got into a relationship with her until you communicated with her until you got to know her does that make sense so a lot of times we mistake we mistake growing in the lord we mistake growing in our christian life and maturing in gaining more knowledge gaining more and it's good i'm all about knowledge i love learning i love doing these things i love looking up words i love i love all that stuff Um, But that doesn't grow me closer to God. That gives me more knowledge about this God that I serve. It gives me more knowledge about what I'm supposed to be doing. But it doesn't grow my relationship with God. And these are things that I've found true in my own life. It doesn't give me more power in fighting sin, just to know a bunch. It doesn't give me more uh, joy in the midst of the trials of life. It doesn't give me more... um, For seeking after God and searching after God, just learning things, learning things about the Bible. Now, the Word is what renews your mind, so I don't want to downplay that and say, well, it's not important that you learn. It is important and it's very important, but that's not where joy comes from. It's not where power comes from. It's not where uh, your passion for God comes from. That passion comes from knowing God. From being in relationship with Him, from from getting down on your knees and communicating with Him, so often I'm one of the people that, if I say, "All right, I'm going to spend some time with God," what I'll do is, you know, I, I would get, I would get. With the Bible and I would get and I would just study and, and take apart sentences and and see how they functioned in the paragraph and you know all those things and I learned a lot of stuff and it was good but I never had any power for living never had any joy in the midst of trial, never, never grew in my Christian faith until you realize that you know you have to get in communion with this God. You have to get in communication with this God. You don't just learn about Him. You have to be with Him. You have to spend time with Him. No relationship will ever grow unless there is time invested in the relationship. That's with anybody, with brother, sister, mother, wife, husband. You will not grow, that relationship will never grow if there's no time invested in the relationship. Okay, I can, I can, if I, if I, you know, I could search Dana's family tree, I could, you know your blood type? I don't know my blood type. I now mean, I can know her blood type. I can know. I can know everything there is to know about her. But we would never grow closer together until I spent time with her. You never would. And that's the same thing with God. Jesus says here, "This is eternal life. This is the purpose of what we're doing here. This is this is what I am giving you. I'm not just giving you a place to dwell when you die. I'm not just giving you, uh, you know the." Joy, unspeakable and glory forever. I'm giving you a relationship with a God, the only true God and the one he has sent, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? You see that? And what we do, what I do, I don't know y'all, might not, this just might be me. What I do is I turn that into academics. I turn that into learning. If I can just... Figure out what these words mean. If I can, you know, there's, there's passages that I still wrestle with trying to understand. How does this fit in? How does this, you know, and if I can just figure all that out, then I'll, I'll be closer to my goal. And that's, that's, it's good and I still love figuring it out and I will still continue to figure it out. Um, but that's not getting me any closer to God. Uh, I shouldn't say it like that. It, his word does get me closer to him. But only through knowing him is my relationship strengthened with him. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't want to downplay studying the word because I love that. And that's, that is important. That's what renews our mind. It's how God speaks to us. And so don't think I'm saying, oh, the Bible don't matter. You just need to get in communication with God. That's how God does communicate. So let's not downplay that. Let's not uh, make light of that. But if you're reading it like a novel instead. Or a history book. Gonna... Or a history
1: book. Then you're not gonna...
0: Right, right. It's not all about. I felt God speak to me, like, not, you know, I handle visions or nothing like that, but I felt, yeah, I felt God speak to me most when I was reading, expecting Him to speak to me. Give an example. Y'all have all heard that story that I tell about when I had my heart checked and I was in that machine and I was panicky and that verse came to my mind that said, what did the verse? <laughs> no, I said, okay. I was in this machine, and I was just—I mean, you can't move. You're just there, stuck, and this thing's going. It's all running, and I was panicking. I mean, I just like panic, and and so the, I couldn't move. But the verse that came to me was, um, "Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, you know, let your supplication." And and then at the end of the verse, I, I came. Recite but then the verse that says, and the peace that passes understanding will guard your heart. And that's what I was there for to have my heart sick. <laughs> and so, what I, I, what I, that verse immediately, when I, when it, when it ran through my mind, it made me feel calm. I just I calmed down, everything was fine. I know everything's gonna be fine, even if the test comes back bad. I, I know it's gonna be fine. Uh, but in my mind now I'm thinking now you know that ain't what that verse means. You're ignoring context, you're ignoring what Paul was trying to say, you're ignoring the whole passage about what but but when I just let God speak to me through it, it just it calmed me down. Does that make sense? So that's what is supposed to be. That's what this one is supposed to be. Yes, yes. But what what I could have easily done at that point was let all my learning get in the way of God speaking to me. Does that make sense? Because I know the context of that passage. I know what that passage means. I know what it's trying to say. I know what it's communicating. But in the midst of my panic, it was that passage that came to me and it just calmed me down. It says it's going to guard my heart. And I know that, you know, it's not talking about, it's going to keep me from having heart disease, you know? I know that's not what Paul meant, but in that moment, God spoke to me through that, and it just calmed me down.
1: Well, that just goes right into play with, you know, when people have a certain scripture that's their favorite, 99% of the time it's their favorite, it's because God spoke to them through that scripture. Sure. And when, they, when people say, well, why is that your favorite scripture, and you tell them why, you know, one of the most disheartening things is, that's not what that means. But to, you, that's, but to you, that is exactly what God was talking to you about, either in that trial or in that victory or, or whatever. Right. You right. know, and that, you know, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is a very common one for a lot of people. Sure. And, you know, it could resonate with me a lot differently than it could with you, and you know, you're a great example of, I could say, well, this is what this meant to me. And you
0: look at me like, you got like, hey, God, help me. That yeah. not exactly what it means at all. And I want to be careful. You're right. And I, the perfect example is what I just said about guarding my heart. But the scripture is, we want to have balance. We want to have balance. We don't want to go too far to the left and say that it can mean whatever you say it means. But we don't want to go too far to the right and say, if you don't understand the context, the history, and all these things, that means God can't really speak to you. We don't want to fall into either one of those ditches. Um, Dana's favorite verse is the one about what is it, I know I have plans for you, whatever. Jeremiah and that's her favorite verse. And that's that's a comforting verse to many people, you know. But a lot of people don't realize that when they when God you know when God spoke that, he was about to send them into captivity for seventy years and suffer. You know, so it's not a you know and I've done that. But he brought them out, yes. And so I've done that before. Have you know somebody take comfort in that verse and me come along and say, "Well, you know, God's foot was on their neck when he said that." You know, so I mean, you really. Uh, but the reality is that people take comfort in that, knowing that God does have, even though I am going to suffer, I am going to go through seventy years of slavery or whatever, that that God's going to bring me out. He has good plans for me, and so the verse does mean what it says it means. But. My point is, there has to be balance. You don't want to be too academic. You don't want to be too, well, this word means, you know, you don't want to be too that. But you don't want to be, well, the Bible's a wax nose. I can just turn it in which way I want to and make it say what. You don't want to be that either. Yes? Why does Jesus refer to himself in the third person in that verse? I don't know. I guess he's praying. I mean, he's praying. In Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. I don't know. He goes right back to the first person after that. I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest Me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou Me with Thine own self, with the glory with Thee I had I had with Thee before the world was. I don't know I, why. I
1: think, in Jen's opinion, I think that the reason that was done is when, when mary was conceived by the holy spirit she was told by the angel his name shall be called jesus and before then i think he was just the son i think that you know he was recognized as god the father god the son god the holy ghost and in this prayer you know he's bringing all back around to you know you are god but you know you gave me the name jesus i am jesus the christ and and that was just my opinion that's what, in my study and that's what i got because before you know from all the beginning, all eternity, it was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Right. And it wasn't until that conception that Daniel said his name will we'll be, be Jesus because
0: he will save his people from their exactly. sins. And then Philippians says God made that name above, above all things. That's right. right. Interesting. Um, one thing that people do use, verse 3. Um, like Jehovah's Witnesses and people that deny the deity of Christ, they will use that verse to say uh, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one whom thou sent, as if God is God and Jesus is not. God. So that's a verse that people use, but you have to take it in the context of what he's saying and at the end of verse 5, look what he says, he says, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee, before the world was. So what he's doing is he's showing us his pre existence. Before there ever was creation, before there ever was a world, before there was ever anything, the Son shared glory with the Father. But if and you go that's down to verse eleven,
1: and it says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep thou thine own name. Keep the
0: those whom thou hast given me, that they
1: may be one as, as, we are. We, as we are one. That right there
0: shows the Trinity. Well, yes, it does. It shows that the Father and the Son are, are one. Um, so what we see is, and in verse 14, it says, no, that's not that. It's verse 5, where he says that I God shared the Father shared glory with the Son before the world was. That is something that is strictly forbidden in the Old Testament. God said, I am the one and only God, there is none before me, there's none after me, and I will share my glory with no one. That is what God specifically says in the Old Testament. I think it's Isaiah. And here it says that the Son says, Glorify me with the glory that I had with thee. Before the world was. Before there even was a world. Before there was even creation. Absolutely. That He is eternally pre-existent. That before there was creation, before there was anything, there was Father, there was Son, and there was Holy Spirit as one God. There's only one true God. And He is Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. Make sense? Yes? But I'm like,
1: you wouldn't need to divide it up. It wouldn't be like considered sharing
0: all together. Well, and that's that's interesting, and I'll, I'll do that the best way. He's just using his attributes. Yes, there is tools Like is me
1: resources, I don't consider
0: it sharing. <laughs> They're your resources. <laughs> no. You don't consider uh, it sharing. It's all ours together. Yeah. So I don't I have to ask him to share because it's your too. It's
1: mine too. You,
0: you know this. Yeah. Well, it says, <laughs> it says, he says, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. He's receiving, he's saying, I'm coming back to where I was before. Make sense? I'm coming back to where I was before. Um, when I say they share, there's one divine, this is a brilliant way to confuse them. There's one divine essence, and it is a circle. No, so, there's one divine essence. Okay, in that, that's why analogies of the Trinity don't work. Okay, you can say it's an egg, or you can say it's water, or a tree, or whatever, but they all fall apart somewhere uh, because all of God, everything that makes God God, is the Father, right? And everything that makes God God is the Son. And everything that makes God, God is the Spirit. Most people, I've done this before, and I know you all seen it before. Most people say like God like a tree. You have the leaves, you have the, the trunk, and you have the roots, okay? And they say the Trinity is like that. It's three in one. It's one tree, but it's leaves, trunk, and roots. And that's not the Trinity. Because the leaves don't make up the whole tree. The trunk doesn't make up the whole tree, and the roots don't make up the whole tree. But the Father makes up everything that is God. And the Son makes up everything that is God. See what I mean? It's a little confusing. There's nothing. There was a man that caught me after the men's breakfast one time right up here. He didn't believe in the Trinity. He's the one that's Pentecostal. And he said, give me a picture of what the Trinity looks like. And I said, You're asking me, you're asking me to give you a picture of something that is completely unique in the universe. Give me something that's like. There is nothing I can point to out here that will say God is like this, because there's nothing like it that we can. You know, it's it, it's not like anything you can imagine. If you say, you could say it's like an egg. You know, they have the shell and the yolk and the white. I'm gonna definitely erase that before I leave here. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> You can say that it's like it's one egg, it's one egg, right. and, but it's made up of shell, white, and yolk, right? You can say that, but this, okay, I'm going to race that. Nobody would have
1: ever thought that if you hadn't said that. I was thinking
0: of that dancing. i was thinking, like, it looks like Here. a real microbiome. micro Just, just, huh? uh, just erase it, Yeah. Okay. So Jesus, Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, he's praying to the Father. The point of this whole, the first five verses, and we're not going to get no further than that. The point of the first five verses is. Everything that's going on, everything that's about to happen, everything that I'm given eternal life, the relationship that I give uh, with my salvation that I offer, the, the death that I'm going to die, the resurrection that I'm going to experience, all that is for the purpose of glorifying the Father. And that the, So that the Father will glorify the Son. You see, the Father is concerned with glorifying the Son. The Son is concerned with glorifying the Father. And He's going to His death. He's going to the cross. He's going to provide eternal life for His people. Not just because His people are so awesome. Actually, His people are sinners and they hate Him. Uh, Romans 1 told us, uh, Romans 3 told us that the the... Mindset of the flesh is enmity against God. Before I came to know God, before he revealed himself to me and changed my heart, I hated him. You know, I might not have said I hated him, but I didn't want him ruling my life. I didn't want him, you know, I hated God and he came and changed me and died for me anyway. And he did that because he loved me. But the main purpose of all of this that has gone on is for God to glorify himself. See what I mean? Make sense? Everybody got that? So one of the biggest things, and we'll close with this, one of the biggest thing issues uh, I just say I have in my life is I want to make it about me. I want to make it about my comfort. How come you're not doing this for me, God? How come I'm going through this? How come this is happening to me? How come I'm wanting wanting God to act on my behalf? And He does sometimes. You know, He does. He always works for good for those who love Him. Uh, But the ultimate thing that I should be looking for is how am I going to glorify God? How is this trial that I'm going through going to glorify God? How is this thing that I go through going to glorify glorify God? How am I going to glorify God, God when everything's great and life is just wonderful and you couldn't get any better? How am I going to glorify God? How am I going to glorify God when tragedy strikes or something goes on? Every part of my life, everything in my life, is the purpose of it should be to glorify God. To glorify the Father, glorify the Son, and glorify the Spirit. And that's what Jesus is praying here. First thing he says is not, please take care of my disciples. He's going to say that later in the chapter. He's not going to, first thing is not, you know, protect them from the evil one. He's going to say that in chapter 17 as well. The first thing he says is, you glorify me so that I can glorify you. Make sense? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much. We we ask that you would be with us as we come before your throne today as we go into worship.